Happy New Year and welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where we encourage you to join Jeff Lyle in shaking a happily defiant fist at 2020 and enthusiastically stepping into all that 2021 has in store for you. When it comes to the kingdom of God, the foundation of his truth remains the anchor for our souls, no matter what a calendar year may bring. Today's episode will help to spiritually equip you to be prepared for both the battles and the blessings that come your way. Now, let's join the host of Mavericks and Misfits, Jeff Lyle, for today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back. I have uh, been spending the last several weeks talking to you about the gifts of the Holy Spirit here on the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. And we have spent the last three sessions prior to today talking about one of the gifts in particular, the gift of tongues, which has uh, historically been a very controversial gift, um, even going all the way back to the first century at the church at Corinth, where we've done most of our studies out of the book of First Corinthians. Um, this gift continues to be controversial in our day. And as with all of the other gifts, my aim in this study is to help us episode by episode take some of the conflict and some of the tension uh, out of this issue of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I found the best way to do that in every subject is to uh, come to an agreement about what the Bible says and where the Bible is dogmatic, we need to be dogmatic. And when the Bible is not as dogmatic, we need to loosen up a little bit. And um, in areas where the Bible is dogmatic, I think we need to tighten up a little bit. And so that's been my goal of this study. And if you are like me, a person that has great reverence for God's word, God's written word, the Bible, then you have probably been challenged in this study because I have not chosen sides. Um, I make no apologies for being um, a continuationist, uh, a Christian who believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are active, available, and necessary. Um, also known as in the more, I guess, contemporary lingo, a charismatic. And that comes, of course, from the Greek word charisma or charismata in the plural, which just mean grace gifts. And that's what we use to refer to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I make no apologies for being a continuationist, a charismatic, but I am also a charismatic who believes in the authority of scripture. That means everything that I believe I want to be defined as closely as is humanly possible by God's written word. And because of that, I've often um, found myself as a, as the title of the podcast indicates, a maverick and a misfit. That just means I don't always fit in into a denominational pigeonhole. And I hope that you don't either. I don't think any denomination represents the whole of what it means to be a Christian. And so, whereas I was groomed as a Baptist for many, many, many years, and I thank God for my Baptist background because it was there among the Baptists that I learned to give reverence to the Word of God, to study the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, teach and preach the Word of God. Um, all of my training and seminary work was done in either Reformed Baptist or Independent Baptist schooling. <clears throat> And um, I just have such a strong regard for the word. However, because of that strong regard for the word, I believe the Baptists completely get it wrong on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe much of cessationism, the belief that the gifts have ceased, is not rooted in the word of God at all. It is rooted in tradition and it is rooted in the absence of an experience. Whereas as a cessationist formally, I would have accused the charismatics of basing what they believe on their experience independently of the word of God, I would just say now as a charismatic, I would say to the cessationist, um, guys, you actually base what you believe on the lack of experience. And so we don't need to base 
our fundamental beliefs on what we have or have not experienced, we have to go to the Word of God. And so that's what we've been doing in these studies on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to bring you the fourth and final episode on the gift of tongues. And where we left off last time was, of course, in my challenging uh, my charismatic brothers and sisters to really consider what does the Word of God say about how and when and why we are to use the gift of tongues, specifically when we're gathered together in a corporate worship setting or in a place where unbelievers may be present, a Sunday service, a Wednesday service, a worship service, and um, just recognizing that there are guidelines um, concerning the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, which we'll talk about in a later episode. But let me finish up with tongues today. I want to talk to you about this is what I this is what I long for among Christians when it comes to all of the spiritual gifts. This is what I long for. I wish we would have a heavenly passion that was married to a humble precision. Can I say that again? We need concerning the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need a heavenly passion married to a humble humble precision. I want passion and precision. I want to obey the command to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and to pursue spiritual gifts. That's that heavenly passion. The Bible tells me to do that. And if I'm not doing that, I'm being disobedient to scripture. So I want that heavenly passion, but I don't want to be so passionate that I'm not precise. So for those that think it's all about passion, we just need the gifts of the spirit. Well, hold on a second. There's not only the green light but they're guardrails. There's precision. I don't believe in sloppy worship. I don't believe in sloppy ministry. I don't believe in sloppiness as a fruit of the spirit. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about why today. So Paul is going to talk about this issue of what it means to exercise the gift of tongues in private. What does it mean? Where does, where do tongues fit in to the individual Christian life, because in the last couple of episodes, we really highlighted what um, I believe are some some guidelines concerning how tongues are to be used in a church setting when the church is gathered. But are there are there guardrails concerning the gift of tongues when we're not in a corporate setting, when I'm not with two or three other people, when I'm by myself? Does the gift of tongues even make sense? If you're just by yourself somewhere, well, let's ask the Apostle Paul. This is what he says, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14 for just about all of our time together today. In 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 14, this is what Paul begins to say. This is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 through 20. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you were saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so Paul is continuing to instruct the church at Corinth about how they are lovelessly and in a very immature way, selfishly, releasing the gift of tongues in the gathered assembly without interpretation And Paul is hitting over and over, hey guys, the reason for spiritual gifts is so that we may build up other people. 
And if you're using them in the church, the purpose is to use all spiritual gifts to build up others when the church is gathered. And here he's going to talk a little bit about that aspect of tongues versus the private aspect of tongues. And he's going to do something that's going to really challenge those of you who come from a background where you think tongues is maybe nonsensical or impractical or unreasonable or unintellectual, whatever the un might be. Um, There is the common view that uh, tongues just don't really serve any purpose. So let's just let the Bible speak. Again, that's what we do in this study. And the first thing I want to note is, is if we're ever going to have tongues, the gift of tongues active in our lives, it's going to require humility. Why do I say that? Well, this is what Paul is saying. He's talking about praying in tongues. So again, I make a distinction between the prophetic gift of tongues, which is used in the church and requires an interpreter, versus praying in tongues, which Paul is clearly uh, saying that doesn't require an interpreter. And so he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, now, just stop right there. Let me talk to 21st century post-enlightenment Western Christians. Guys, we have a hard time believing in anything that we can't fully explain, control, or understand. And tongues is not a phenomenon to dissect. It's not a phenomenon to investigate or fully comprehend or even comprehensively explain. Tongues is a supernatural gift of grace that is sovereignly given by the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And so remember with me that it's far too sublime to fit neatly, nicely, tidily inside of the human intellect. Tongues is a supernatural gift. And therefore, when Paul says, when I'm praying in tongues, it is my spirit that is praying And then he adds this, but my mind is unfruitful. Well, what does the apostle mean by that? Well, I'm going to break it down in the most plain teaching possible. Paul is describing what goes on when he is praying in tongues, also called in other places in the Bible, praying in the spirit. Those things are almost synonymous. But when Paul is saying, he he says, if I pray in a tongue, so we know he's talking about praying in tongues. He says, His spirit is praying, but his mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? His mind, his intellect, his reason, his capacity to understand and fully be cognizant of what is taking place. He describes his mind in that instance of praying in tongues as being unfruitful. Can can I put it to you plainly? Paul is saying, I don't know what's being said. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm communicating when I am praying in tongues because he's not praying from his intellect. He's not pl- praying from his emotion. He's not pl- praying from his reason or his understanding. He is in a state of being supernaturally yielded and partnering with the Holy Spirit. And the, par- the, the Holy Spirit is praying through Paul's human spirit. And physically, that prayer from Paul's human spirit is is that physical prayer is being uttered by Paul's lips, by Paul's tongue, by Paul's vocal cords. So there's a physical process in that Paul is speaking and he's saying words and he's making sounds and he is um, bringing forth a language, but his mind does not know the language. So think about this. This is so humbling because when we're praying, we've got a list. We've got it written down. We're praying for this person, this person, and this person. We're praying in emotion. We're praying in reason. We're praying in earnestness. And by the way, Paul says, and he's going to say it in these verses, he, he does pray that way too. But he's adding this. He's saying, but when I pray in tongues, 
It is my spirit praying and it bypasses my intellect. Now that's where I lose half of you right there. Half of you would say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with any kind of supposedly Christian practice where I don't understand what's going on. Well, let me just say, if that is your attitude, you will never pray in tongues. Because if you feel like you have to be in control of everything you experience in the kingdom, then your experience in the kingdom is only going to be as big as your ability to control something. And if you think that that's spiritual, I would just challenge you that that is not spiritual because it leaves you within the realm of your own abilities, your own limitations, your own capacity. It's not supernatural. It's natural. And it could be based on a lot of noble qualities. It could be experience. It could be education. It could be emotion. It could be reason. It could be understanding. But Paul is saying there's an experience in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit, as he works through the human spirit. And Paul says when that happens and he's praying in tongues, his mind doesn't understand what is happening. Now, it also is very clearly in verse number 15 Tongues are a part of personal prayer and worship that was normative in Paul's life. That means it was the norm. He didn't go into this big debate and explaining how it works and and trying to soothe the people who didn't believe in it. Why? Because everybody believed in tongues in the first century. It was only later, after the scriptures had been written, it was only later that people started doubting the gift of tongues. But when Paul was ministering and serving, it was normative. Everybody understood that tongues was part of the Christian life. So he says in verse number 15 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, what am I to do? He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So very quickly here, as Paul is humbling himself, and by the way, Paul was an intellectual giant. Paul was not some flaky, wacko Christian. Paul was an intellectual giant. Nobody listening to this podcast had a greater intellect than the Apostle Paul. Don't be, don't be offended at that. It's just true of all of us. Paul had a greater intellectual capacity. He had greater theological training. He had all of that and in, in spiritual understanding, but he prayed in tongues. As a matter of fact, he said later in this chapter, I pray in tongues more than all of you. But he said this, he said, listen, I'm going to pray with my spirit, even though I don't have understanding. He says, my mind is unfruitful. What am I going to do? He says, I'm going to continue to pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. And then he adds in the singing in the spirit element. So part of Paul's worship was praying in tongues and singing tongues, but it wasn't to the extent that he didn't pray in his native tongue and didn't pray also in a way that he was intellectually connecting with what he was saying, what he was praying, what he was thinking. So I love this because Paul clearly distinguishes two forms of prayer here. So one of the form involves the human intellect and one form does not. Clearly to pray in the spirit, listen, is to pray independently of the mind. Now that's such a stumbling block for so many people, but it's, it's clear in the scripture. This is what Paul is saying. And so it's a massive stumbling block for some Christians because we have made an idol out of our potential to understand everything. And if we'll only allow ourselves to experience in the kingdom those things which we can fully comprehend, then we will have very little depth to our personal experience with God. If, if you regulate and say, I will not allow myself to experience anything that I can't explain, control, or understand, then you're going to have a really limited personal experience with God, and you're going to be offended at people who don't limit themselves in that way. 
And so Paul, maybe the greatest Christian intellect of all time, he makes no apologies for declaring under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that his own private Christian experience involved both praying and singing to God in a manner that sometimes bypassed his mind. And it also bypassed his ability to know what exactly was coming out from his own mouth. Now, friends, I'm just going to tell you, if you're looking for a reasonable, intellectual, comprehensive understanding of what all of that is before you experience it, then you will never experience it. A a quick personal testimony. I've been praying in tongues regularly since the year 2005. My first experience was in um, late, excuse me, very early February of 2003 but didn't really become a fluent part of my life until 2005. And so we're looking at 16 years of me praying in the spirit. And I'm going to tell you, I have no idea what I'm praying most of the time. Every now and then the Lord will give me the ability to understand. I'll have the spiritual awareness and I'll be able to interpret in my mind what I am praying when I'm praying in tongues. But most of the time I'm just doing it by faith. I am yielding my spirit to the Holy Spirit. And as Paul says, when I'm doing it, it was like when he was doing it 2000 years ago, my mind is unfruitful. But then a lot of the time I'm going to pray in English. Very rarely do I pray in Spanish. Spanish is another language that I'm semi-fluent in, and sometimes I will sing and worship in Spanish, but most of the time I pray in English or I pray in the Spirit. I pray in tongues. And so I love what Paul's saying here. He says we need both. Some of you say, well, Jeff, I've gotten along just fine by just praying in my own native tongue. Well, that's fine. I want to to encourage you, never stop praying in your own native tongue, but I'm just going to ask you, does your Christianity leave enough room for the word of God to be true in your life that the Bible says in Jude, verse number 20, that when you pray in the spirit, you are building yourself up in your most holy faith. And so if you don't um, regard or affirm praying in the spirit, and because you don't affirm it, you're not doing it, how do you know that you're not actually weakening yourself at a level, you're living at a level that is much weaker than you could be living at if you would build yourself up in your most holy faith, always praying in the spirit as the apostle Jude commanded. Now, friends, I go a little bit further into this first Corinthians 14, and this is where I want to really talk very briefly, but firmly to my charismatic friends. Tongues are to be self-regulated. Um, verses 16 and 17, and then I'm going to mix in verse 19. This is all in first Corinthians 14. But verse 16 says, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? So he's transitioning from this private praying in spirit, praying in tongues, singing in a tongue, And he's saying, but when you get together in the church, that's not the time to do that. He says, if you are giving thanks with your spirit, so that you're worshiping in your spirit, in the Holy Spirit, in tongues, when you're doing that in the corporate setting, Paul says this, how can anybody in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? So the scenario is this, that in the gathered church at Corinth, somebody stands up and they do in public, in the gathered setting, what they're very comfortable in doing in private. What what am I talking about? Well, it's what Paul just referenced, praying in tongues or singing in tongues. And Paul says, you may very well in tongues be giving thanks to God, 
but everybody on the outside of you has no idea what you're saying and they can't even say amen to it because they don't understand what you're praying and or singing in the spirit. And this is connected to the, the, re- the regulation that there needs to be an interpreter when tongues is used, the gift of tongues is used in the gathered assembly. Why? Because tongues uninterpreted don't build anybody else up. It's almost like you're showing off your gift or you're building yourself up while everybody else has to sit and watch. And that's not love. That's what he's going to, that's what he's describing in chapter 13. He's like, man, love doesn't operate that way. So this is what I find in the scripture. It seems to be Paul was encouraging, pray in tongues all you can, sing in tongues all you can while you're by yourself. But when the church is gathered, that's not your time to just stand up and speak or pray or, or, or uh, sing in tongues because if there's not an interpreter, then it only serves to build you up while everybody else is kind of left on the outside of whatever is happening. And so we have to segue, excuse me, regulate, self-regulate how and when and why we release the gift of tongues. That's why he says in verse number 19, he says, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Did you catch that? Paul is saying five words in the language everybody in the room can understand is more edifying than 10,000 words in uninterpreted tongues. Now, listen, all of you that are like me, sign off that, yes, I am a charismatic. Yes, I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I pray in tongues. I speak in tongues. I sing in tongues. Bravo. Praise the Lord. You can't take any credit for it because that's a gift that you were given and you have the faith to exercise it. You probably are pursuing it. And I'm going to encourage you pursue it according to the scriptures because this is what the scripture says. When the church is gathered together, you you better accomplish you 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 accomplish the will of the Lord in a better level if you were to speak five words of instruction in English or whatever your native language is than if you went on for 15 minutes in tongues. 15 minutes in uninterpreted tongues may um, impress people. It may even signal to people, wow, God's on that person. But let me tell you what it doesn't do. It doesn't help anybody else in the room. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying it's so much better if we will focus on helping one another. When we say, well, Jeff, sometimes you just, just can't help it, man. Holy Spirit hits you and you just can't help it. Well, you can say that, but you can't get that from the Bible. Because that Holy Spirit got a hold of me, I couldn't help it, excuse. Um, Listen, that just goes out the window. Hear me on this. Though the Holy Spirit is fully active in praying through our human instrumentation, nowhere in Scripture is it taught that we are somehow helplessly possessed by Him and unable to cooperate or even fail to cooperate with what He is doing. So guys, get this. The human element is necessary if we're going to experience any of the gifts of the Spirit. Remember in Romans 12, we taught that just a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, It talks about the gift of teaching. It says the teacher has to work at his or her gifted teaching. 
The, the prophetic person must release prophetic words in accordance with the amount of faith that they have. That's the human part. You've got to release the words by faith. Yes, the, the Lord gives the gift, but the gift does no good until it's released by the human instrumentation, the human cooperation of uh, the gift of leadership. Remember, it says that the leaders are commanded to lead with zeal. You can have the gift of leadership, but if you're not leading with zeal, then, then the gift is worthless. It takes human facilitation. And so the gift of service, remember that Romans 12 talks about the gift of serving. It's worthless unless the person possessing that gift engages his or her will to actually serve others. Same thing with the gift of giving. It makes no difference. Giving, you can have the gift of giving, but it makes no difference unless the human release of that gift occurs when the person is operating in a generosity, an attitude of generosity. Now, I don't get it, but for some reason, gifts like tongues, they seem to be viewed by a lot of people as us passively waiting for the gift to seize hold of us and make us do something. No, no, that is, that is not the way it works. Gifts require faith in order for them to be effective. Gifts require that we respond. Gifts require that we step out. Gifts actually have to be, as Paul wrote to Timothy, stirred up to be fanned into flame. They grow stronger when we are exercising them. So the idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit just kind of zap you and all of a sudden you are gifted and you can't help but to use that gift, you, you won't find that in scripture. You have the gifts when you have the Holy Spirit, but the gifts are dormant in you until you step out in faith and begin to actually use the gifts. So what does that have to do with tongues? Well, listen, if you're ever going to speak in tongues, at some point you're going to, first of all, acknowledge that the gift is real. Secondly, acknowledge that it's available to you personally. And then you will at some point need to open your mouth and begin to surrender your vocal cords, your, your tongue, your lips. You'll have to surrender those human instruments in faith. And so, yeah, you're going to need to make some sound. And if you're unwilling to humble yourself in this matter, let me just go ahead and tell you, you'll never speak in tongues. Now, I, I understand the objection because when you look in the three occurrences in the book of Acts, nobody had to, we're not told the precise manner in which uh, they facilitated tongues, but it seems very spontaneous. It seems like they are, just what I described earlier, it seems like, especially in Acts chapter 2, that they're zapped. But friends, when we get into the um, epistles, we're not given the steps of how to do it, but we are given the general rules for using all spiritual gifts. And the general rule is, is you can have the gift, but you have to engage in order for that gift to be released. And I don't think it's any different with the gift of tongues. And so if it's done by faith and all spiritual gifts are done, are released, are employed by faith. So what does faith look like for the gift of tongues? Well, it may be you getting alone and getting quiet with the Lord and saying, Lord, I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe the Bible teaches it's available. Lord, I would love to have this gift because the Bible tells me to pursue, pursue spiritual gifts. And Lord, I would love to build up myself in my most holy faith, according to Jude chapter number, verse number 20. I would like to build myself up in my faith. So here privately, wherever I am, Lord, I want to speak in tongues. And so, Lord, I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to begin to worship you, but I'm not going to worship you in my native language, Lord. 
I'm not going to worship you in English, Lord. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sing. I'm going to, to, to allow my spirit, my human spirit, to be fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you from that simple childlike release, Lord, speak through me. Let my tongue be loosed and let me experience praying or singing in tongues. And then, friends, you have to do it. You say, well, Jeff, I don't understand that. Well, good. you're in great company because Paul said when he did it, he didn't understand it. He said his understanding was unfruitful. This is not about you understanding what is happening. This is about a depth of surrender that you may have never reached before. And in that moment of surrender, in your childlike faith, something that doesn't make intellectual sense, but makes spiritual sense to the Lord begins to happen in your life. And you'll have to approach it in faith. So let me finish up here in these last couple of minutes. Um, I, I would just say this also, whereas I'm telling uh, those that maybe have never prayed in tongues, sung in tongues, that they have to have faith, they have to engage the human element. Let me just be very clear to my, my friends in the charismatic uh, section of the church, so to speak. Um, I would just say because the human element is always part of the equation, we are also able to refrain from speaking in tongues in settings where it's not appropriate. And guys, that's why Paul gives the clear guidelines in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 28. And I will just say this, uh, charismatics lose credibility because, and often we ignore these verses and it's such a stumbling block for people who are trying to find out what's true about the gifts. And then we say, we believe the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with somebody right now who's saying, I don't know what to believe about the gifts because you guys accuse us of not believing the Bible. But then when it comes to how you use these gifts that we have a struggle to believe in, y'all don't believe the Bible either. Cause you don't obey these verses. Well, Jeff, what verses are you talking about? Well, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Wow. Now, this might serve as a bit of a buzzkill for some of you, but let me just go ahead and kill the buzz. Um, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says about tongues in the gathered church. And it's very clear. If anybody speaks in a tongue when the church is gathered, let it be two or at the most three. And they're not to do it on top of each other each one in turn and let someone interpret that they couldn't get any more clear than that. And why this is so ignored flagrantly, in my opinion, um, by pastors, preachers, evangelists, prophets, worship leaders, We've all been in settings, and I get it. When the, the Spirit is moving in the room, sometimes you just want to engage in the Spirit, but do we honor the Lord when we give in to our desire if our desire is not in accordance with the Word of God? Because it says, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. What does that mean? It means then if you're going to, if you're going to speak in tongues, but there's nobody to interpret, then don't do it out loud. Don't do it in a way, just keep it between you and God. And you have to do that by being very quiet, 
praying in the spirit under your breath, almost a whisper. God's not hard of hearing. You don't have to scream. You don't have to draw attention to yourself. Nobody else in the room has to hear it in order for the Lord to know that you're praying in the spirit. And you can give that word of praise or that prayer or that uh, song, but you have to do it in accordance with scripture. Now, I'm sorry if that frustrates some people. And they say, well, Jeff, that's just man's religion. Well, time out. I didn't come up with this. The very same Bible that tells me to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and the very same Bible that says right here, do not forbid speaking in tongues also says, but when you do speak in tongues, this is how you are to do it. And this is how you are not to do it. So I, again, my whole position in this is what does the word of God say? Because the only way I can know that I'm pleasing the Lord is where the Bible is clear. I need to be obedient. If the Bible is vague, there may be some latitude, but I don't believe the Bible is vague in here at all when it says two or three at the most and only with an interpreter. And if there's nobody there to interpret, then keep it between yourself and God. And again, the idea is, well, I can't do that, man. I just, I get a case of the can't help us and the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I couldn't resist. Well, I'm just going to bust your bubble with one more verse before we sign off for today. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 and 33, it says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now it's talking primarily about the gift of prophecy, but it's a kingdom principle that the human spirit is still subject to us. So I am actually in charge of what I do and what I do not do. And then verse 33 says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The reason why Paul is giving these guidelines is because apart from the guidelines, the Christians at Corinth were prophesying all over each other. They were um, speaking in tongues all over each other. There was disorder in the gathering. It was confusing. Paul said a little bit uh, earlier in the chapter that uh, when, when there were unbelievers in the room or an outsider, that they'll think you're crazy. If you're just prophesying and speak, or excuse me, if you're just speaking in tongues all over each other. And, and so God is not a God of confusion. God actually likes order. Order is not always some religious spirit. If a leader in the house of worship is saying, we're going to do things decently in order. That person is not necessarily operating in a spirit of religion. They may actually be operating in a spirit of humility and obedience to God because they know they're going to give an answer. And so it, it might infringe upon your freedom. Well, so be it. The Lord reserves the right to infringe upon our freedom. Why? Because tongues are ultimately like all spiritual gifts for his glory and for the good of others. And so as I close this out, this is the fourth message on tongues. And I hope that you've been edified. I hope that you've learned. I hope you've been challenged. And especially if you're a leader or aspire to be a leader, and if you're a person that is networking with leaders, you have the right to ask your leaders these questions. Hey, why do we speak in tongues without an interpreter? Why do we call everybody in the room to start praying in the spirit at the same time when the Bible actually says, don't do that? Those are questions that we need to answer because I want revival, man. I want God's power. I want God's presence. And if we think that God isn't going to restrain himself when we are with a cavalier, flippant attitude, just ignoring these portions of scripture, friends, I think we quench the spirit when we think we're actually operating in the spirit. If we're operating in the spirit, at least we think we are, by everybody stirred up and praying in tongues and singing in tongues all at the same time, when we think that that's spiritual, somebody ought to raise their hand and say, hey, doesn't this actually go against the Bible that the Holy Spirit inspired? 
because we honor the Lord when we honor his word. And again, Paul said, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So we're not talking about doing away with tongues. What we're talking about is operating in the gift of tongues the way the scriptures prescribe it. And Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So if the apostle Paul, the greatest intellect, in my opinion, that Christianity has ever seen, if the apostle Paul, this intellectual, theological giant in the history of the church, his testimony was, hey guys, I speak in tongues more than any single one of you. But he's the same guy that said, but in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 in tongues. Why? Because when we gather together, it's about us edifying the other person, not us edifying ourselves. So there's the challenge. Four messages. If you didn't hear the other messages on tongues, you can go back in the Mavericks and Misfits podcast uh, feed and you can check out the three messages before this one. And guys, let's do this the right way. Let's do it in honor of the Lord. I believe that if we will honor the Lord in this way, we will experience his presence and power in ways that um, we haven't yet. I, I actually believe if we'll do it by the book, so to speak, that we will experience not a, not a lessening of the spirit, not a quenching of the spirit, but we will experience an explosion of the spirit because he will look upon us and he will say, that's a group of people that honor me because they honor what I inspired to be written according to the scriptures. And friends, when we do that, we set ourselves up for a great move of God. The coming revival will involve, mark me, mark my words on this. This is a prophetic declaration from Jeff Lyle on this date. I'm telling you, the coming revival will include a renaissance of allegiance to the written word of God. There will be no sloppy revival. There will be what's coming to the church is going to be grounded and founded in the written word of God. God will raise up preachers and teachers in addition to prophets. There will be the rhema word, but there's going to be a renaissance in the teaching of the word because God's going to reacquaint an ignorant, a biblically ignorant generation. He's going to reacquaint them with the word. And when we get reacquainted with the word, we are standing on the rock. And upon that rock is where God will pour out his very best. So let's look for it and let's be faithful students of the words. God bless you. I went a little long today. Bless you as you continue to pursue the Lord and continue to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts. And the next time we gather together, we're going to talk about the other controversial gift, the gift of prophecy. Until then, signing off. God bless you. Keep tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.